Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor well, Jim I do appreciate Cuban. you guys being here. I want to talk to you for a few moments. We've been talking about reframed and that we've been reframed in Christ Jesus. That we were framed as this, as one thing, but he moved, and this one thing was horrible, that that we were terrible people, that we were sinful, that we were deserving of hell, that in fact we're still deserving of hell, but by the grace of God we we have no expectation of seeing it. Amen. But God took us out of that frame through His Son Christ Jesus and reframed us in Him. He gave us a glorious life. He gave us His Holy Spirit. He, he tends to us. He seeks after a relationship with us. He has provided for us. And so we went from this total isolation, excluded from the love of God, to a place where we've been reframed in Christ Jesus, now adopted as both sons and daughters of the Most High King. Amen? And so I think that's great. If I, I told Pastor Rick if I had to do this again... I would have bought a couple of easels, one for each side of the platform, with some big frames, and I would have put the different words, the different frames that we've discussed. We started, and I'm going to recap this as my introduction today, because I want you guys to understand my linear thinking of, or process. And so we've been talking about two frames and in this frame I've always said over here on the left is the bad frame over here on the right is the good frame and that's not a political stance or position it just happens to be how my mind thinks uh, but you take that however you want to <laughs> over here we started talking about wrath versus relationship that we deserved wrath from God that we were we were God was justified because He is perfectly just in distributing His wrath, His anger towards us because we were, at, we were at odds with God. We were at enmity with God. Amen? But Jesus redeemed us and placed us in relationship instead. Where we were completely separated, we are now in relationship. And so this thing happens first. This wrath to relationship. And then because of that, because we were given from wrath, we were given relationship, we were given a heart of flesh where we once had a heart of stone. Which means that we were given a sensitivity to God, a sensitivity to what He expects from us, what He wants from us, by the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit. And so we were here stone, insensitive, unknowing what He would want from us. And to a place finally where we are flesh and a heart of flesh, acknowledging, recognizing our responsibility, being able to feel conviction, all because the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of us. So he moved us from wrath to relationship. In that wrath to relationship, he gave us a new spirit, a sensitivity that moved us from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Amen? And then yes, last week we talked about how Having had that sensitivity, we are now capable of moving from the old self to the new self. 
The Bible says take off the old self and all your former lusts and all the stuff that you'd like to do and put on the new self in Christ Jesus. Move towards righteousness. That is to say just be more Christ-like every day. And so here we are to do a full recap. Wrath to relationship. Redeemed by Christ. From there, a, a sensitivity to the Spirit moved from stone to flesh. From there, the ability in that sensitivity to move towards Christ's likeness. And what I want to talk to you about today is having moved and continually moving towards Christ's likeness. There will be a time when we will be like Christ. Because the Bible says we will be like Christ when we see Him. We will be perfect when we see that which is perfect. And so... God finally, and this is where we're going to end our series, moved us, reframed us from death to life. And that's so exciting to me. That because of the work of Jesus Christ and all of these steps, we have an incredible hope that we didn't previously have. And that hope is in Christ Jesus alone. I want to say this, and I'm going to say it several times because it's the most significant thing that we can learn today is that without the resurrection, without the life that is currently in Jesus, we have no life. We have no hope of life. I want this to be encouraging to us, but at the same time, I prayed intentionally, very intentionally, that God give us a spirit of conviction to recognize that the life that we have, if we don't have Jesus, ends at the life that we live. That there's, we have to get to a place where we recognize our mortality. That the end is coming. Some of us, sooner than later, some of us, who knows, by the end of the day, we have no set time limit. We learned last week, or maybe it was Wednesday, that the Bible says that He knew... I guess it was Wednesday, that he knew the number of my days before I lived my first day. But you know, you know what that means? It means I don't know the number of my days before my first day. So I just have to live as though today is the number of my days. This is what I want you to do. But we can do that, and we can do that with joy and expectation and hope, true hope, if we're in relationship with Jesus. And I'm not talking about some preschool, soft knowing. I'm talking about I want you to know, have a confidence that Jesus Christ died for you. And He died for you so that you could have eternal life. He saved you. I asked somebody one time, I said, what God saved, what did Jesus save you from? And he goes, uh... From hell. It's partially right. He saved you from the wrath of God that you deserve. He became your propitiation, your appeasement. He became the appeasement of God for the sin that you've committed. He saved you from having to stand at the great white throne of judgment and being seen as separated. This is what He saved us from. This is the reason why we have a hope. Everybody all right? And so I want us to take the full weight of that or the weight that our minds can comprehend because 
quite honestly, our finite minds can only do so much. But at the end of the day, let's give it serious thought. Give it serious consideration. Who we were versus who we are. And ensure that who we are continues in every way possible to be glorifying to a God that didn't have to reframe us in the first place. He reframed us, and I've said this in every series, for no other reason than he wanted to because he loved us enough to do it. That he proved his love to us and that he sent his son Jesus Christ while we were still sinners to die for us. Y'all feel the weight of what I'm trying to say? I want you to feel the weight before we get started of the death that we lived in, but the life that we live in now. But I want to talk to you about framed and reframed from death to life. Number one, we were framed by death. I've talked to you and talked to you about this, this whole series. As a matter of fact, every, essentially every portion of this series started with an explanation of the death that we lived in in a different style or form or fashion. But at the end of the day, Ephesians 2.1 says it. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. But God saved us. We were spiritually dead. But it wasn't always that way. We were spiritually dead now, but God created everything perfectly. From, from the very beginning in eternity, when he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, every time he created something, what did he say? It is good. And I, I don't know what good looks like to God, but if good looks good to God, it must be perfect to us. Amen? And so this is the world that God created, but we fell out of that. But it's not a place that that we ever were intended to try to get back to. You know why Jesus came? Because we fell out of that. We had perfection at the beginning. This whole book is about getting us to perfection at the end. Getting us back to the place where we were. But we were supposed to stay there. We were supposed to be obedient to God. We were supposed to do the things that God told us to do. And there was only one thing and we jacked that up. What does the perfect look like? What should we be living in? What can we expect because God made all things perfect? Well, let me tell you. Isaiah chapter 11 gives us some clue. First off, Genesis 1 and 2, all was good so that it was perfect. 6 through 9 of chapter 11 of Isaiah says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. You understand the, uh, the opposing relationships that this speaks of versus what we see right now? What we see right now, the violence, the chaos, the destruction, is a, is a product of the sin that we live, the sin that we are born into. But God says that he's going to change all that, that all of that is coming. But let me tell you, that's how it originally was. He continues, the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. 
In Revelation, it says that there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, that God's going to wipe away every tear. No more death. That the presence of God will be there, just like He did at the very beginning before we sinned. The presence of God was available to man prior to our sin. Could you imagine? Uh, I know the answer to that question is no. We can't imagine what it must be like to walk with God, like truly walk with God in the cool of the day. But this is what it was like pre-sin. But we jacked all that up. Sin was introduced. And with sin was introduced, we lost that perfection and became spiritually dead. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of sin. You've heard me say this because it's a biblical truth, and I don't know any other way to say it. It's how our statement of belief says it. You are a sinner both by birth and by action. Listen to me. If you never hear anything else I ever say, you deserve death. You were framed in sin. David recognized this in Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. All of that could be said of all of us. We deserve death. I'm really just trying to, I'm trying to pour the weight on you. <laughs> because I need you to understand the goodness of God. We don't know what, how beautiful this picture is until we acknowledge how ugly this picture is. And so this is the frame that we were framed in, spiritually stillborn. Because we were born into sin. But it's not, it's, it's worse than that. We chose to sin. You're all, man, I'm not responsible for something happened many, many, many generations ago. Well, the scripture says that you are. But the fact of the matter is, you are still responsible for the actions that you've taken. Because you've turned away from God. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All of us. Everybody say, all of us. You know what that means? Yeah, if you break that down in the Greek, it means everybody. All of us. Like sheep have gone astray. Which means we've left the shepherd. We went and did our own thing. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us intentionally turned away from God and towards our own desires. 
And so you could say you're not responsible for you or for what generations ago happened. But let me tell you, you're responsible. Well, you are responsible for that because the Bible says that you are. But you're also responsible for the actions that you take. And every one of us has sin in our life. And I said this last week. I said it the week before that, I think. And if you say you don't, according to James, you're a liar. Which is in itself a sin, and so you're sinful. And so we have intentionally turned away. You know how that got you know how that has to make a creator God feel? A God that created us for relationship? People say, why is God so angry with us? Let me ask you, if you gave everything that you had to your children and they abused what you gave them, would you be angry with them? Yeah. You'd be at odds with them. You'd be at enmity with them. Would you still love them? Absolutely. But you know what you may not have? You may not have a relationship with them. God proved that he didn't have a relationship, but he still loved us because he sent us Jesus Christ. And so we were alienated from God. We were enemies of God because not only are we sinful, but we are sinful by action. Because we took the perfect creation that he gave us and turned it into literally hell on earth. And we deserve to be at odds with God, hostile towards God. Romans 8, 7 says, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So, man, we got some problems. Spiritually stillborn, we've intentionally turned away, we're alienated and enemies of God. Not only that, but we're insensitive to spiritual things. This is all in this frame, by the way. Which means we can't even see the truth if we wanted to see the truth. Christians crack me up, man. Because we're yelling at non-Christians all the time. Well, if they just quit being gay, the world wouldn't be like it is. Or if those politicians started doing such and such, the world wouldn't be like it is. Or if so-and-so wasn't doing that, the world wouldn't be like it is. Let me tell you, you're kicking a dog for being a dog. They don't know any better because they can't understand spiritual things. God never told you to judge them. God told you to love them, preach the gospel to them. So that through His Holy Spirit, He can reveal Himself to them. And then they would understand. I've never been able to yell anybody into hell, and I've tried. Or yell anybody into heaven. I I probably could yell somebody into hell. That's why we love them. But you don't don't understand what they did to me. I don't understand what they did to you. But I tell you what I do understand is that what they did to you ain't as bad as what you did to Jesus. And if he could still forgive you and hang on the cross knowing that you did that for, to him, there's nothing we're not capable of forgiving somebody else for. 
but it's all a product of them being ignorant to spiritual things. First Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. You guys remember your pre-saved state? I do. Mine wasn't that long ago. And I can remember thinking, man, my grandmama thinks what? She thinks, she thinks that somebody actually died and came back to life? She thinks that the Red Sea was parted? This old woman thinks that the sun stood still in the sky. Doesn't she know if the world stops rotating, everything's going to fall off of it? But let me tell you, you have to have faith to believe those things, and those things are spiritual. And before you give your life to the Lord, you're ignorant to those things. This is the death that we lived in. It's not enough for us just to say we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. In fact, that is true. But what that means is that we didn't know. We were ignorant. We were at odds with God and deserved to be at odds with God. So in summation, what does this frame look like? This frame has us hostile towards Him, cursed and condemned of Him, ignorant of His ways and of His love, dead in every spiritual way. Very simply, this frame has you drawing your last breath and going straight to hell. Man, that hurts my... That's significant. I don't want to preach it to you guys. I want you to hear the words coming out of my mouth. If God had determined to leave us in this frame, in this death frame, death is what we'd get. I can't imagine living this life as fast as I've seen my own go and this being the only life available to me. I lost my papa in 2001. Greatest man I've ever known. I can't imagine living my life right now knowing that at some point in my future I wouldn't see him again. But if everything that I said about this frame was true and Jesus didn't happen, I would have no hope of that. We sit back, we think of the people that we've lost, our fathers, our mothers, our grandparents, and we think you'd never see them again if we stayed in this frame. Because death would be final. But praise God, Jesus didn't leave us in this frame. Jesus moved us to this frame. Jesus framed us in life because he is alive. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection? You know what that means? That he was the first to go as evidence that there would be more to come. Because he lives, we shall live. I'm going to read you some verses, if you don't mind, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15, if you've never read it, it's an it's a incredible 
theological dissertation by Paul about the resurrection. The whole chapter is. And it'll blow your mind. But I, I love 12 through 20. They're rhetorical questions or they're rhetorical statements because none of them are true because Christ is alive. He says, now if Christ is preached, again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. That would be horrible. Moreover, we are, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he, was, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. That sounds destitute, doesn't it? Till you read 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. You know what he's saying? He's saying verses 12 through 19, because Christ has been raised, none of those are true. Praise God indeed, Mama. Praise God indeed. Essentially, this is what he's saying. In our alive state, we are forgiven of our sins. Verse 17, and, I, and I'm intentionally taking it, I know I normally go verse by verse, but I'm intentionally taking it out of order. And I want to cover 17 first because it talks about salvation. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sin. And I want to talk about verse 17 first because it is the greatest need of man to be removed from his sin and to be in relationship with Jesus. But that's what it says. It says, we are forgiven of our sins because of verse 20. Because Christ has been raised. Our faith is not worthless. We are not still in our sins. God doesn't hold our sins against us. We're no longer in this frame. We're in this frame. And the resurrection is something that we can look forward to. Not because of something that we did, but because Christ Jesus saved us. Because we have faith in salvation, that Jesus Christ died for us. That He came, that He, according to Philippians 2, He humbled Himself as a man, that He died a shameful death even unto the cross. So that He could have a name above all names, so that He could place death under His feet, which in fact He has done. So that we know that we too shall be putting death under our feet. That same chapter 15 later on says, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Can I tell you that your life has no death and therefore death has no victory or sting for you? This brings me comfort. 
But it brings me conviction too. It brings me an awareness of how awesome my God is and how insufficient I am. Because if that's true, and if it's only true because I am no longer in my sin, then if I'm still in my sin, then this is still true. Then I'm still going to see death. I have to move out of my sin, trust in Christ Jesus. It's the reason why Paul said in 15.3, he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance. I love that verbiage. You say, I'm not trying to make it crazy. I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm not trying to put ten things over this. There's one thing that I want you to know more than any other thing, and it's the thing that I preach most often. What also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He was raised up on the third day according to the Scriptures. Man, that's good. Jesus died for us. I want I want to take the let me take the congregational aspect of that out. Because so many of us are all, yeah man, I can see that. You guys ever pray for something for somebody else knowing that they that you had confidence enough to know that they would receive it? but you were a little weary about praying that for yourself, not sure if you could receive it? I have. I want to take that out of the congregational setting and put it in the personal perspective. Because Christ died for us, yes. But He died for you. Because of the resurrection, because there is no longer death, but we have been made alive your salvation is for you. Your life, because of that salvation, is for you. I can name each one of you by name and say, you, he did it for you, and he did it for you, and he did it for you, and he did it for you. And as my wife said years ago, if you were the only person on the earth, he would have done it for you anyway. This is the greatest need of man. Because why? Because we were framed in this horribleness of death. And in this horribleness of death, we couldn't be in relationship with God. But God made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over to death for our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. His death and resurrection proves that we've been redeemed, that we've been justified, and that He has glorified us. It may be just a little thing with me, but I, I don't like the idea that the Bible says that we will be glorified because you hear we glorify the Lord, but the fact of the matter is Glorified just means given the full weight, made greater. And through Christ Jesus, there's nothing, there's not a better word. Because of Christ Jesus, we'll be better and are better than we've ever been in our whole life. And we will be that better for eternity. Amen?
in our alive state, our faith is well-founded. Verse 14 reads like this, And if Christ has been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith, or if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Your faith is not in vain. Your faith is well-founded. I'm going to say this as simply as I can. How can I have faith in Christ Jesus? Because he said he was going to die, stay in the ground for three days, and then be raised again, and he did it. So I'm just going to do what that dude says. And it's a provable thing. We can prove that he died was in the ground for three days, and was raised. This scripture, the scripture that I, I told you about, 1 Corinthians 3 through 8, says this, For I delivered you as first importance that I also received. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go down to verse 4. And he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Cephas is Peter, and then to the twelve. And so listen, he's proving that he's been raised. He said he did, he said he would, and he did. And then he proved it by showing himself to Peter, then the twelve. After that, he appeared more than five, to more than 500 brethren at one time, most who remain until now. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared to me also. Your faith is well-founded because your faith is proven. Amen? Jesus Christ is alive. There are documented historical proofs that Jesus Christ existed and that Jesus Christ showed himself after he, was, after he was dead. Now those historical documents will say something along the lines of supposedly dead. But let me tell you, you don't beat a man like they beat Jesus. Put him in the ground for three days in the heat of the desert sun. Infection not set in. And him be dead. He was dead. Emphasis on he was dead. And so he can be trusted. How many of you guys want someone that you can trust? unconditionally that you know that no matter what they say no matter what they do they're going to do exactly what they said they'll do someone who is always faithful which is jesus according to first corinthians 1 9 someone who will always be there and stick closer to a brother i don't know about you guys but i need that guy in my life from time to time always faithful always sticks closer to a brother and is always near I like the idea, especially when I'm suffering and I'm struggling and I'm mad or I'm dealing with something, that God is right here. That Jesus Christ is making intercession on my behalf. That I don't have to wonder, I don't have to worry, I don't have to question. I just know that I know that my faith, because Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead, and I will be raised from the dead also, that I don't have to worry because my faith is well-founded and your faith is well-founded.
Can I tell you, you're not wasting your time by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. In our alive state, we know that the, what the apostles preach is true. Verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ from the dead, whom He did not raise if in fact the dead were not raised. You're not false witnesses. The apostles weren't false witnesses. Why is this important? Because everything in the Scripture is true. If they're not false witnesses, then you can count on the Word of God. Has someone been made alive? You can promise. The promises that have been made to you are true to you. The love that has been demonstrated to you is for you. The fact, it's, it's one of my favorite one of my favorite verses and i pray it all the time the fact that god the almighty all-powerful infinite god promises not only to be my god but to hold me in his righteous right hand is true this is what was preached and if what was preached is true because Christ Jesus was raised from the dead then all of it has to be true because if any of it's true all of it's true or none of it's true I did a sermon up here probably two years ago where I took a book that resembled a Bible and it, was, it wasn't if you were here then and I said yeah if you guys believe this or you don't believe that and then I ripped the page out well if you don't believe that then you must not believe this and I ripped this page out or you must not believe this let me tell you, the whole point of that illustration was to show you that if you don't believe every piece of it, if not every piece of it isn't true, then no pieces of it are true. But let me tell you, it's true because Christ was raised from the dead. And the greatest truth is Christ Jesus. For I and the way, the truth, and the life. And when he rose from the dead, he, he laid proof to that claim. I want to go back, though. I, wanna, I just want to keep telling you. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. The first fruits. There's more fruit to come. You're going to have a spectacular eternity in Christ Jesus. You were framed in death, but you've been reframed in life. And because of that, verse 19, you are not to be pitied, but you are to be envied. The people that don't know who Jesus is are the ones who should be pitied. We should be envied. Our, our preaching is not in vain. It's full. It's meaningful. It's intentional. It's valid. It's valuable. It's significant. It's all of these things. If it, if it weren't 
if we were pitied, then all of our self-denial, all of our obedience, all of our love for one another would be for nothing. But I don't want to talk in negatives. So let me tell you, your love for one another means something. Your self-denial means something. Your obedience means something. Because you're not pitied. Because you do have a promise of eternity. Because there is a future for you. And that future is in Christ Jesus. We were framed in death, reframed in life because of the work of Christ Jesus. It's the reason I started in verse 17. Because I need, to know, I need you to know that because Jesus did, we will. Those of us who belong to him. And I think that is amazing. Which means it's worth the suffer. That's why people say Christians are pitiful. That's why he addressed it. Because Christians were being persecuted. Well, look at you. They, they look pitiful. I'm not pitiful. I don't know about you. Are you pitiful? You're not to be envied. You're strong, courageous. You face persecution. Or you should face persecution. You will face persecution. The Bible, Bible doesn't promise us anywhere that you're not going to live, that you're going to live a perfect life, that you're never going to have any problems. My boy Justin over here, who did the offertory, one of the godliest men I know, sat up here and told you 2020 was rough on him. But you know what it did? It drove him to give more. How does that happen? Because he understands that he's no longer framed by death. He's framed by life. And those who are living in life are to be pitied. They're to be envied. And when we show ourselves blessed, we are blessed. Because this truth, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So your temporary light affliction is going to... We're talking about 100-fold, 10,000-fold blessing. Just know God's bringing it back home to you, baby. For your glory. So that you may be greater. You're dealing with what you're dealing with, not to be pitied, but to show yourself and your God strong and courageous. I can deal with what I can deal with because I know my, my big brother is standing behind me. I know God's not going to let me fail. Or at least failure in his understanding. I'm going to be all, man, that didn't work out like I thought it would. And God's, God's standing behind me going, worked out exactly like I thought it would. Worked out exactly like I planned it would. And you know what we've done? We've set you up for the next success. We've carved something out of you. People shrink back from persecution. They shrink back from pain and suffering. Not realizing that that, that thing that they think causes them to be pitiful is actually strengthening them.
God's trying to carve something out of you. It's going to hurt. He's trying to melt you down to make you pure and then remove the dross from you. That's going to hurt. He's trying to mold you and beat you and crush you and remold you. That's going to hurt. But you know what? At the end of the day, your momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more struggling, where God's going to wipe away every tear, where there'll be peace in all things, where we'll be able to be literally in the presence of God. Did you know that the presence of God will be so magnificent in heaven that he will be the light source in heaven? That is super cool, man. I'm all, like, I can't even get my mind around that. I'm thinking, what about the shadows? There ain't going to be no shadows. God's glory is too big. I forgot why I started bringing that up. I just get, I get excited thinking about it. But I didn't because I didn't used to have that. But now I have that. I was cursed. Now I'm blessed. I was beaten. Now I'm strong. I was weak. Now I'm courageous. Hmm, God's good. We're, we in our alive state. Wait a minute. In their, alive, in their alive state. Those who have fallen asleep are alive. Verse 18 reads like this. Then those also who have fallen asleep. Because Paul's talking about those that aren't with us still. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's the negative statement he made if Christ wasn't raised. I take, I kind of started out this way. I take great pleasure. And honestly, I daydream about it sometimes. About sitting with my papa on the back porch. And him... You guys know he gave me three pieces of advice when, when I went off to the military. And if you don't know this, he gave me three pieces of advice. He said, pay your bills before you eat. Everything in moderation. And if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear. That's the reason why I have a picture of a grizzly bear in my office. And I, I can't, and I know it's selfish, and it's, but it, it's just, I can't wait to sit and listen to him and talk to him and ask him how'd I do? Was I was I grizzly bear enough? Did I make you proud of me? You know, I I got no hope of that conversation without hope in Christ Jesus. And we all have somebody that we have hope to have that conversation with. D.W., I listen to you talk about your dad. I know you can't wait to have a conversation about a deer you killed or what you did with the truck business or something. Just, just, or maybe not even talk about that at all. Just sit silently. But let me tell you, that's only possible because we've been reframed. We've been reframed in Christ Jesus from life or from death to life.
Amen. I'm going to end on this. John 10.10 says this. Actually, 9 and 10. Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. It will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to read that again. Please listen. I am the door. This is Jesus talking. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture or find rest and provision. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came. They might have life and have it abundantly. Can I explain to you the rural sheep pasture for a second? So Jesus is talking to a, an agricultural society, and he's, he's talking to people that knows what shepherding looks like. And the rural shepherd to this rural sheep pen was essentially a, just stacked rocks or stacked branches and thorny bushes in a circle, and he would run the sheep into that pen at night. And he would lay in the middle of that thing where the door should be, where there was a break in the, in the rocks or the, or the bush, to literally be the door, so that if there was anything that left the sheep pen, he would know. If there was anything that came in to harm the sheep, he would know. He became the door. And in that door, once they entered, they found their salvation. They found their security. They found their freedom. They found their safety. And they were given their opportunity to be blessed and to find their provision because Jesus Christ is the door. And He is the only door. And then He says, the thief is opposite of that. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came to give life. And give it abundantly. Why do I bring this up? In a reframe series. Because he says this. I came to give life. And give it abundantly. See up to this point I've talked about. This magnificent life that you're going to live when you leave here. Did you know? Or if you didn't know. Listen. Your eternity, your blessing, your love, your hope started the day, the second you confessed Jesus Christ as that door. Your abundant life is right now. And I'm not talking about a blab it and grab it kind of life. I'm talking about a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of comfort, a life of hope. And let me tell you, in a world like we live in right now, that's what we need. We need that life overflowing, abundant with joy and peace and hope. In a world that tells us we should be pitied and tries to stamp us out, we say we were death, but we are now alive. We won't be pitied. We won't be stamped out. Because we have Christ Jesus, and our life is abundant.
Or that's what I can say. What can you say? I've tried to be very solemn with this series. Because I needed you to understand the dreadful thing that we were. And the magnificent thing that we are or that you could be. Can I tell you my prayer at the beginning of this thing is that the Holy Spirit convict those that need conviction. If there's any person in this room that is still to be pitied, if there's any person in this room that doesn't know the relationship and the life and the hope and the spirit, that heart of flesh that we talked about, the invitation today is to move from this frame to this frame in Christ Jesus. If that's you if, you, if you've allowed yourself to be placed in this frame or replaced in this frame or want to be in this frame with Christ Jesus, I want you to raise your hand for me. I want to pray for you that you're exactly where you should be, that you have a heart tender to the Holy Spirit, that you have a security of knowing that your hope, your eternal peace is secure that you are alive today as you will ever be in Christ Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand for me? People say, well, I'm waiting for you to shut your eyes and bow your head. We don't do that here. We're family here. How am I going to love you? How, how are the people around you going to love you? They're all, well, they're going to see me. They, well, good. God sees you. He's more important than they are. So if that's you, and I don't do pressure-ridden altar calls or whatever, but if that's you, if you'd raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you. Amen. People asked, I had a guy ask me one time, he said, he said, does it ever discourage you when people when you do a, an invitation and nobody answers? I said, no. I'm a, I'm a grocery bag. I just bring in the house what God tells me to bring in the house. You guys devour what you decide to devour. And as far as I know, and what I'm going to bless God for is that none of y'all lied to me and all of y'all are in perfect relationship with Jesus. And if that's not true, then feel convicted about that. <laughs> all right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. God, we, well, I say we, I don't quite understand it. But I'm trying. I'm trying to understand how you can love me so much that you'd send your son Jesus to die for me. But God, in, in lack of my total understanding, you have my total gratitude. You have my total commitment. I submit myself to you, Lord. We submit ourselves to you, Lord, acknowledging that you are great, that you are merciful, that you have extended grace to us. Literally by definition when we didn't deserve it. God, I pray a special blessing over every person in this room. I thank you that we have moved from one frame, been moved 
from one frame to the other because you love us. Let us reflect that love well. Not just to each other, but when we leave here to the people around us. Let us be the eyes and ears to hear and see the need. Give us the hands and feet to walk towards and work towards those that need us. We praise you, Heavenly Father. We worship you. Give us the ability to declare your Son, Jesus, to someone this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.